Hello and welcome back, podcast people. Today's episode is with Thomas Kameni. He's an American copywriter and the author of the book Junior. I read Junior back when I started off my course. Um, it's aimed at people not yet in the ad industry or in their first sort of one to five years um, of working in advertising. It's all the mistakes he made. It's basically a letter from Thomas that he wrote while he was coming through um, agency life about everything to watch out for, the mistakes to make, the lines not to write. Um, basically how to survive um, and not fully break down in your first few years uh, in advertising. Uh, the book is just, it's amazing. I absolutely loved it when I first read it and that's why I got in touch with Thomas to get him on. Um, it's super conversational. It's really funny. Um, it gives great examples of what he talks about. He doesn't just like say, oh, you know, do this, but it doesn't give an example. He always gives examples um, which aren't brand specific as well, which is nice. Um, so you can apply them across, you know, all your work and sort of, you, know, you can understand the idea that he's trying to get out, um, which is really cool. Um, as for the interview itself, uh, it was ace. Uh, Thomas is such a nice guy. Um, really appreciate him coming on, but not only that, you know, he came on with uh, real enthusiasm, and I hope that comes across in the chat with that we'd really good laugh together. Um, and you know, he imparted some some really great wisdom. So yeah, enjoy the episode. We'll start off with the start of your career. So in your book, uh, the first chapter um, is like all about how to get into advertising. And you share a great story about um, with your emails back and forth with people when you got your first internship and then your first job. Are they the the actual emails you sent? Uh, they are exactly the emails I sent. I, I edited out when I mentioned a brand name um, uh, just because I didn't want to sort of, well, I, I actually don't mention brand names throughout the entire book. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it's, I think I've maybe fixed, I didn't actually, you know, I don't even know if I fixed uh grammar mistakes i think they're 100 percent as as they were that's brilliant because they're, they're absolutely equally hilarious and creative and you can see <laughs> you can see i can see why they love them so much it was quite a like a yeah i mean they always talk about you have to do something different to stand out to get into agency and stuff and like those those series of emails definitely were that oh thanks yeah they were they're really fun i mean it's it sort of um you know when i wrote them i really didn't have anything to lose so uh you know i was i was not on the track to end up at, you know, what was arguably at the time the best agency in the world. I wasn't really on track to end up there. I was, uh, you know, I didn't go to the right schools. I didn't have the right portfolio. I didn't, you know, I had lots of reasons that they shouldn't have hired me. So it was, uh, I didn't have anything to lose. And that, I think that made it easy for me to, um, you know, to do something that, that stood out. Yeah. So in the emails as well, you talk about that you didn't go to portfolio school. So what did you, what did you do? What was your experience? What led you like into advertising then? Um, so when I was in my senior year of high school, um, I read a book called Hey Whipple Squeeze This by Luke Sullivan, uh, which yep. is a, a great advertising book. People should, uh, should buy that, read that before they buy and read my book. Um, and I just thought, wow, this is, this is really interesting. Uh, this, this seems like a, a cool field. I actually was originally interested in, um, interactive multimedia. That was what I originally wanted to study in, um, in college and, uh, you know, I'd be, rich and retired if I, if I had continued that but now I've decided no advertising advertising is the route for me um and so I, yeah I just I switched majors uh started studying advertising uh with marketing but with an advertising focus um just at a regular four-year um four-year U.S. college and um and just got really interested in it and just studied everything I could I read every um award show annual I could at the time I read uh any advertising book I could possibly get my head my hands on. I read marketing books. I just I wanted to absorb it all. 
Um, and I just harassed anyone who would, uh, who would take the time to talk to me who worked in the industry. Yeah, well, I mean, it seemed, it, I mean, obviously it worked. Um, so when you were applying for these, like these jobs, like uh, obviously the one, or the, your internship certainly start with, like, what was your portfolio like? Was it just based off, you know, did you have a mentor or someone guiding you? Was it just sort of what you'd seen in books and then sort of, yeah, figured it out from there by yourself? Yeah, so I went to, um, I, I had a really good uh, mentor when I was in college. Um, and and I, you know, I already knew that I needed a portfolio to get an advertising job. I think that was sort of, um, or I had already sort of known that from, from the books that I'd read. And then I had a really great mentor, his name is Larry Minsky, and he's, He's actually written a, a you know, bunch of uh, advertising books too, so I sort of sort of knew of him, um, and uh, and then had him as a professor. And he uh, he took me under his wing a little bit, and and sort of showed me, um, I guess, exposed me to sort of the best the best of advertising. Um, and I, I think I just sort of tried to uh, to really understand what made those ads good, and then tried to. Uh, kind of merge that with my my own perspective um, and, and what I could bring to the table. Um, also, I just had a lot of like really like, bad professors, to be honest, too. Uh, and that sort of <laughs> sort of let me know what I didn't want to do and where I didn't want to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's easy to overlook the, uh, you know, you, you always have the good mentors, but there's also the, the opposite where you're like, wow, that is absolutely not what I want to do. I'm so glad that that's not, <laughs> that I'm, I'm not doing what you're doing. Yeah, well, I did um, accountancy as my undergrad before now switching over to advertising. And that was very much the situation of like, like now when I think back, I'm like, wow, I'm glad I, I'm glad I made that that swap. So I can I can definitely uh, relate to that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Not too late to go back is what I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, I would never do that to myself. <laughs> it's, it's literally as dull as everyone thinks it is I mean, or, to me. I'm sure, I'm sure for the right person it's fine. But um, yeah, you talk all about tenacity in your book and how it's helped you in your career. Do you think that's, um, and obviously you talk about, about rejection and how prevalent that is through the advertising industry. Um, is that like, was that something you think you came to advertising with or you sort of learned on the way? Like, were you always tenacious or did you sort of, you know, figure out, okay, I'm just going to have to like not stop here if I want to be successful or get to where I want to be? Um, I think a little bit of both. I, yeah, I think I thought that I knew how to work hard and, to, and then I started working in advertising and realized, oh, working hard in advertising is is really hard. There, I mean, it is, you know, I read about it in the book, like it is it is physically taxing sometimes the, the hours that you work. It's, you know, you kind of have to, you you have to almost train like a, like an athlete to be able to, <laughs> to work those hours and have your body still, still function the next day and, you know, go how do you not sleep for 24 hours and then go straight into a meeting with, you know, CEO of a company. Um, so yeah, the, the, I think a little bit, and, and I don't want to glamorize that either. I, I don't think that that's a, that's a positive thing. I think that, you know, that usually shows some, some kind of dysfunction within a company, but, but it is the reality of, of a lot of the industry and a lot of projects are, are going to be like that. Um, and you just need to be sort of built for it. So um I don't know. I think it's a bit of both. Like, like I think I, I had obviously had that in my head. Like, okay, I'm willing to to do what it takes. Um, but then on the other hand, it, on the other side of it, sort of, um, you know, it's like when you when you go from being a 
amateur athlete to a pro athlete, okay, suddenly you're, the physical demands are different, but you're you're also in a position where you're being trained for it, um, and even you know mentally being trained for it. Uh, so you know what used to take you a week to do, you can now do in a day. What used to you know destroy your brain to switch from one gear to the next, you can just do in a second without really thinking about it. So that, so you kind of have the, the training for it too, um, and, and so you, you sort of build up that that tenacity, I guess. Well, it's uh, only scared me slightly for, <laughs> for what's there. It's also, yeah, it's also, I think the, the industry's changed quite a bit too. I, I don't, you know, now there's like the unlimited vacations at a lot of uh, agencies and um, there's so many different, so many different agencies now that I, I think if somebody feels like they're really being abused at a company, they'll just go to another, another place. It's not, it's not quite the same as, you know, there's, two or three great agencies and the rest are garbage it's not i think there's a lot more more range okay do you think um so the side question do you think unlimited holidays works do you think people are because it's unlimited do you think people are like you know that interior guilt of like okay i don't wanna you know don't wanna take the piss here yeah i think it works i think it works really well for companies uh <laughs> to have people take less vacation time holiday time <laughs> yeah i think uh <laughs> i think it works really well for them um yeah, I, th I think what would actually work is if they had a, a mandatory minimum uh, and then and then unlimited. I think that would actually work if they actually wanted people to take uh, time off. Um, uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel like the people who who take advantage of it um, of the unlimited are usually the people who had a lot of vacation would have had a lot of vacation time anyway. So yeah, okay, well, that's that's fair enough then. Um, so back onto your book, Junior. Obviously, what inspired you to write it? What you know? Well, what what happened that made you one day just go? You know what? I should write a book for people that you know me a year ago or me two years ago. People that were in my shoes. I just I just wanted to get rich, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it failed miserably. No, uh, yeah. it's uh, it, it really is. It's the book that I wish I had starting out. Um, and and I looked for it, and there's there's a lot of good books for sort of earlier in your you know, what is the advertising? And then there's books for later on in your career when you're, when you're sort of established and you know, now you're dealing with really big, big business problems and, and there really wasn't anything for in between. Um, and, and I wanted to create something that, that was useful in that time where you go, oh crap, <laughs> I, I need to do this. How do I do this now? <laughs> People have this expectation that I can do this and, and I, I'm not sure I do know how. Um, and so it was, it was a, yeah, written written for that, written for uh, somebody like me, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago. I mean, it's it, yeah, good in, even in the sense of just where you talk about, you know, uh, anecdotal stories of like your first um, brief on your internship and you just get totally shut down. Yeah, and like knowing, so like you know, if you're in that situation, like, okay, at least I'm not the only person that has to go through this like horrible experience. Oh yeah, I've I've made all the mistakes. I'm I'm. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> don't worry if you've done something wrong i've done it as well yeah i mean even just hearing that is like because for someone that's you know pre like agency i'm obviously still i'm just in like doing a one-year course so that'll obviously hopefully be me in about six months time but yeah just no going in knowing like oh it's okay like i'm, I'm, I'm the first person to ever fail or get totally shut down or totally rejected or someone hate all their ideas like it's fine oh yeah yeah the, the rejection is a, is the majority of the job um yeah, I think it's really important to to love the process because the majority of the job is is your work dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you you spoke about that um like some 
three hundred thousand um dollar TV ad that was like fully ready to go and just just never happened. Yeah, we've done a few of them now. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've probably uh yeah wasted millions of dollars at this point of uh of advertising budgets that have never gone anywhere. Um, so how, like, how do you deal with it now? So like now you're fully established, you're used to it. You've had all these project shelves. Like, what do you think when, you know, in the early stage when an idea gets killed and then like late stage when it's listed ready to go and it gets killed? Um, I still approach every, every project like a, like a junior, or at least I try to, um, and look at everything as with the, the you know, foolish optimism that everything is going to be okay. Uh, but a little bit, armed with knowing how to deal with it when it when it doesn't go okay um and just knowing that it's it's one project in in a career it's not you know there's hopefully it's not a make or break thing and um yeah just sort of i mean it still hurts i don't know (laughs) there's no yeah i still care so it still hurts um uh but i i've just sort of learn to learn to deal with it a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's no change. It still, it still sucks. Yeah. Well, I imagine the day that you get rejected and feel nothing is probably time to, to move on to something. Like the fact that it hurts probably means you still care. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. <laughs> a nice somewhat silver lining to a otherwise very great cloud of rejection. <laughs> yeah. It's got dark. This, so, this interview got really dark. Now I'm, uh, yeah, <laughs> we need to like, yeah, we need to <laughs> yeah. So you know, when you're when you're wallowing in despair, uh, usually the, yeah. the thing that I like to do. <laughs> just remember, it could be worse. It could be, it could be career ending. Just remember that. Yeah, just remember. Yeah. Oh, you're fired, but your career, yeah. you know, it's down, but it's not <laughs> out. Um. So, how did you go about writing the book? Was it just you just sort of got like all thoughts and everything that you'd experienced the last like couple of years down on paper or was it, like over a process of like a year or so? Like, it, it took, it took years. I mean, from, from pen hitting paper to uh, picking up a book in my hand was, was about 10 years. Um, so a lot, a lot longer than I think people assume. Um, there were also, it originally I had written a chapter about uh, microsites, which aren't a thing really anymore. So I had to throw an entire chapter away. Um, yeah. I had to add all this stuff about social media, which you know, a few months will probably be outdated. So, so there's, uh, um, yeah, so it was a bit of a process and, and I started writing it when I was still pretty young in the industry. Um, and I think that's what's, you know, I think is, is different about this book than others is I actually, I did write it when I was in it and young and I obviously I became a better writer and, and adjusted things or tweaked things and made it made it better but at least I knew the I knew the right questions to ask because those were the questions I was still asking and I hadn't forgotten them yet um so it, so it was I think actually through that as annoying as it is to wait 10 years for something uh and have it sort of burning in the back of your brain for for 10 years and losing sleep over it um I think it's also what makes it work is that it's that it has the the youthful spirit of when I started writing it with the wisdom of now I, I can look back at it and, and have better answers to, to the questions that I had. Yeah, I quite like that. It's almost like, it's like, like, a, di- like a diary of a junior in advertising where you sort of 
yeah, like as stuff happens to you, you put it, you add it to the book and, you know, this rejection or you learn this lesson and every time you learn, yeah. you sort of pass to whoever's reading it coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like I got to creative direct myself from the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you ever like look back at stuff and be like, I forgot that even happened? Like, was there stuff in there that, you know, lessons or like things that you didn't even like you don't remember not knowing, like you, you just felt like you've always known that. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'll still look, I'll look back at the book, my, you know, myself and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and even though, I mean, I've read it you know, 400 times now, but, uh, yeah. but I still look back at it and, and they're good reminders for me too. Um, Cause you do get sucked into the day to day and then you look back and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, this is how, this is a way to approach this, or this is what I usually do when I'm stuck. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it I sort of remember and forget over and over and over again. Yeah, I've read it like through at least like two or three times. And I mean, you know, obviously you, you've read a lot more than me, but like I, I do forget some stuff from it. And every time I read it, I come away like more sort of energized, more enthused like about advertising. It's it's just written so well. And like the little sort of comments and stuff in like in the blue text where you give like, you know, if you're talking about like how to write a headline, um, this is a headline and this is a like inverted commas headline or whatever. Yeah. And then you give like a little example of like a dull one and then like just tweaking it to jazz it up. Like those little practical examples, I think are what really makes it like sort of extra special. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, and th those examples, I, I wanted to uh, remove the brands from them. So there's, you know, it's not for Nike or for whatever, because there's people just have so much baggage with existing brands, but I just wanted them to be neutral. Like, hey, if this was a generic brand and this is the way you were approaching it. This is how this could be, be made better. Um, and so in that way, it sort of it removes all the, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, pre, pre, uh, preconceived notions people have about different brands and different companies and just kind of keeps it pure to here's the language and here's how to make it better. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise, yeah, if you get too brand specific, then it's like, okay, this is how I write a Nike ad, rather than you kept it like, this is how I write a headline or a print ad or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of, because you talk about in the in the book, and there's this great quote where you use the shark analogy, and it's like, you have to feel like you're a shark. If you ever stop moving, you'll die, in terms of your ideas and like keeping them moving forward um, from Clyde. You know, every time you get client feedback, just keep pushing, keep pushing it. How do you know, like, when to stop? I mean, obviously, I guess you say never stop, but how do you know, like, when to stop with an idea? How do you know, like, okay, this is this is it, this is like the idea? Um, I think you know. I think you know when you have the i the idea, um, and sometimes you need to just keep going to know that that idea that you had was the right idea. It, it sort of as you look back at compared to all the other things you've, yeah. you've had so um and sometimes you think you have the idea and then you keep thinking you're like oh actually i didn't have the idea this is the idea um so i, I just kind of kind of keep going i think there's also something to you know at some point you can sort of over process your your work and you can overwrite it or over over edit it where it loses its um its original sort of spirit um, so I like when I'm writing in a, in a Word doc or in a Google doc or whatever, um, I'll, instead of deleting, I'll copy and paste and, and I'll end up with a deck of 20, 30 pages of essentially the same paragraph with slight little tweaks to it. And then I can really look through it and say, okay, this is actually when I was, 
there's something in, in this that I ruined. There's something in this that was good. I need to go back to this. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I don't, I don't really stop thinking about how to make it better until it's, until it's out. And sometimes I, that's a fruitless labor and I, I've reached my limit of being able to make something better as, as a creative, but, um, but it doesn't mean I, I stop trying. That's an interesting point. So do you, when you're writing, when you're coming up with ideas, are you a, um, a digital guy, you're a word doc, easily editable, or are you pen and paper? Uh, I do it all. If, if I'm really stuck, I'll go back to uh, paper and pencil. Um, and just and just start writing again and just do the sort of force force the process. Um, yeah. I feel like when I go straight to computer and, and I actually think most people do this when they go straight to computer, they uh, they actually aren't able to. It, it's too fast in a way where their brain can't linger on something. Um, yeah. And it kind of it kind of can contribute up. The other thing is that you know I've done, been doing this for a long time now, so I kind of it's sort of like you know when you learn to do uh, when you learn to do maths, it's like you you learn the process and you have to do it all by hand. But then after a while, you can just do it in your head. Like I've kind of gotten to the point I have, you know, I've been doing this for over over a decade now, so I do the math in my head, but I'm still doing it. I'm still writing it. I'm still yeah. slowly doing it. I'm not just you know, letting my mind wander. I'm, I'm rewriting and writing, writing in my head. Um, but yeah, if I get really stuck, I go back to, to pen and paper. Okay, I like that. So in terms of just back again to the like the sort of right idea thing, when you're so if you're going to pitch to a client, like you know, obviously you've got like the time deadline. But when you know, how do you differentiate between like good idea and like good enough idea? Like, okay, right like forget it we need to stop here we need to actually embellish this or we're going to run out of time or like keep pushing and like you know how do you strike that balance um i think in the process of formalizing something and really building the structure around it and here's my my insight and the strategy into how, why i'm doing this thing and then you show and then you you craft it and you're really showing the execution and the details of it and exactly where the placement of something is in an, in an ad from that process, I think it, it sort of keeps evolving. So I don't think that pencils down when you start building building out a presentation or really sort of start putting it together. Um, you know, there's still there's still room to keep improving it, but, but I like to give enough time to do that process as well because because more ideas can come out of it. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't. There's no like there's no magic time of knowing when you're when you're you've gotten it good enough. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think at some point you just you show it, and that it's usually in the meeting as you're showing it to a client, where you go, "Huh, this is pretty good." <laughs> you know, there's not really like a ton of time to reflect and be like, "Oh, I'm such a genius for coming up with this." It's usually like when it's going to the client. It's also where it's also where sometimes you realize maybe I didn't think this through enough, and it's not quite good enough. Um, and you're showing them something, and it just doesn't make sense, and you're realizing it doesn't make sense as you're talking to them. <laughs> Yeah, as the word leaving your mouth, you're like, uh, oh, I mean, or or we could just take this to yeah. a different direction. Maybe we just go to the next page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's move on. I don't know if you're aware of a guy called Nassim Tlaib. He's a economist um, guy. He's got this uh, this thing called barbell strategy. So it's like you live on like the two mm -hmm. extremes. And I guess advertising is a bit like that. And one of the examples he gives is like extreme doubt and then like extreme certainty. Mm -hmm. So. Like if you're a golfer before you hit a shot, like they need to be like super critical of you know the yardage, the wind, 
um, you know, the temperature and so on. And then when they step over the shot, they need to be like entirely certain that they've got the right club and the right strategy. And they say the same thing for like UFC fighters or boxers, like in the training, they've got to be absolutely paranoid. They're about to get like absolutely beaten up. They've got to be like, you know, if they don't wake up scared, they're not going to train as hard in the gym. And then when it comes to fight night, they need to like flip it and like instead be like, no, I'm going to be this guy, like mm. super confident, like bravado. Like, advert- do you think advertising is quite similar where in like the edit room and the creation room, you're like, this idea is terrible, this idea is terrible. And then like right before you're like, you're getting it together to present, you're like, no, this is the best idea ever. Like you need to sort of like switch it. Um, hmm. I like, I really like that. Uh, I guess I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, you know, cause you're, you're sort of always looking at, you know, can I change this? You know, you're always looking at it critically, like what can I improve? What can I tweak? And then when it comes to presentation, you can't like show those doubts. You've just got to be like heads. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. I, I think that that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I think you definitely want to present to a client with confidence that you have the right idea and you know, hopefully you're doing that because you think you do have the right idea. Um, but I think there's also, I, I think it's, you know, it's not a fight when you go, when you go in with a, with a client either. I, I yeah. think it's, yeah. you're still looking for, um, you're actually looking for, you know, how, how does this answer their problem and how can you, how can you kind of, I don't want to say work together because, you know, it's not, it's not that type of collaboration necessarily, but, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, how can you, um, how can you be open to what they're saying or how can you really really listen well to what they're saying um and also how can you make sure that they they see it from your perspective and uh and from the market perspective and sort of you know how can you give them a tour outside of their bubble uh before before you show them uh, the idea so more yeah it's more or less being that headstrong with the idea and more like we're confident in it but like also kind of really loosely hold it and flexible where you can take on their feedback again? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's also, well, I think it's just, it, it's really just about like being honest with them and uh, and being honest with yourself too. And I think when you go into a meeting, I mean, you've given, you've been thinking about this one problem that, you know, they have a hundred problems that they deal with every day. You're dealing with, with one problem and you're so, so focusing on it and you've approached it from every angle and you've thought about every consequence and every potential and all the different ways it can go. And then you go into a meeting and, and you just sort of quickly show them this thing uh, and they don't know all this stuff underneath it, all this, all this sort of process that's gone into it, all the thinking that's gone into it. Uh, you know, how, how much you, how many arguments there were of whether you should have a, a comma there or not. Uh, you know, that, yeah. Uh, so I think, but then, then they look at it and they sort of see it in the broader perspective of their entire company. So I, I think it's just knowing, um, knowing if they need to see it more from your perspective or if you need to see it more from their perspective uh, and what, what the sort of correct answer is for, to, solve, to solve the problem that they, um, that they have. Um, so yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, you shouldn't go in and be like, yeah, I don't know if this is a good idea. <laughs> Uh, you, need, yeah. you kind of need to know that yeah. you solved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost more the opposite where you're trying to shoot. So like, you know, when you're pitching, you think, or like, it's better to 
show them why you've done certain things, like talk them through the logic behind it rather than just show them the end product, right? You want to take them on the, the sort of journey that you Yeah, for sure. And, and I think a lot of times clients just want to see the thing. Um, but, you know, I always say it's like they, you kind of have to, you have to have the, you know, the vegetables before you can have dessert. Like they, they kind of, they need to have that, even though, even though it's not as fun. Like they, they kind of need to know what went into it. They need to see it a little bit um, and not too much, you know, in the end, you're not going to be there to explain to the consumer every single insight that you had, but yeah. but for them to understand how it exists within the sort of ecosystem of their company and their brand and what, what it achieves and what its limitations are, uh, I think is sort of, is, is sort of crucial for them to, to be able to approve something. Okay. Yeah. Um, controversial uh, question coming up. What are your thoughts? <laughs> In the book, you were you were pretty set on the fence on it, so I want to definitive. I am I am more. firmly on the fence. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's like I say in the book. Like puns are fine. Sometimes they're just they're just so brilliant or brilliantly dumb that that they're okay. Most of the time, they're they're hiding a bigger idea, um, and if and. If the pun works really, really well, it's usually because there's an idea underneath it and you can just go straight to the idea and ignore the pun. Um, sometimes you have absolutely no idea, which is why you have the pun there. And no matter how, how funny that pun is, there's still not an idea, still not a takeaway, and it, it won't really you know, do anything. <laughs> it won't really do anything creatively or, or for the business. Yeah, okay. Well, I was hoping for a, a more... <laughs> more i don't know visceral reaction or or comment a uh, real stance but yeah i mean it's fair like when they're done well i guess yeah like, that's the well. thing with like you know with everything in both in my book but also just in you know in in advertising is there's all these rules that people set out but then there's an exception to the rule and everyone loves the exception um so and yeah. i think these are these are just <laughs> ways of approaching it or or i guess if you want to do a pun and you, you think it's brilliant know that you're doing a pun and think it's brilliant don't don't sort of be like know that that's what you're doing i guess like it's having the understanding of okay i'm doing this deliberately not because i'm not a talented person or not because i don't have a better answer but but going into it with the knowledge of i'm doing this on purpose i think is you know it's like the really great great authors or great writers they don't always follow the grammar rules but it's not because they don't know the grammar rules it's because they're not following the grammar rules. They have an understanding of the language. They're able to break yeah. it. They're able to do the, the weird, different thing, and it's because they understand it. There was a there's a book. I don't know. I can't think. I can't remember what it's called. There's like a book where there's no punctuation in it at all, and it's like if you like if you tried to hand that in, it, it, you know, in high school for your English essay, like yeah. you'd get chewed up. But because there's like a famous writer, you can get away with it. It's like yeah, it's, it's like it's um. Uh, e. e. Cummings, right? Yeah. Oh, that could be it. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah, I, I love. I mean, I, um, it's really cool when there's writing and and just from the flow of the sentence, you know, where the punctuation should be is is pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's almost like more talent to like, like through words alone and no punctuation. He tells you where to expect punctuation, like where to draw breath, like commas and full stops do. Yeah, so absolutely. Like kind of and and even with. Uh, from a sort of advertising perspective, when you go into design, sometimes where the line break is or how the hierarchy is set on the page, you don't need that punctuation. And that's kind of cool too, where, where once it yeah. goes from a, uh, you know, 
a, a document and a word document into a uh, into a visual thing uh you're able to to lose some of that and change some of that and sometimes you can take words out because the words are assumed by the by the structure or the visual um which is which is also fun yeah well your book's a bit like that where it's not you know it's not just like wall-to-wall -wall text it's you know everywhere it's all over the place like how much of that was your input and how much of that was like the, the uh, so I worked, I worked with a designer friend of mine. Um, uh, her name's Anna Kostnik, and she's uh, amazing. Um, and we just had conversations early on about what I wanted the book to be and not to be. And I wanted it to feel, um, you know, more like a, um, how like a magazine spread would be where, it, where the structure of it sort of impacts how you read it, where you read it. Um, some pages are more dense, some pages are more sparse. All of that is, is, was really deliberate um, and and just sort of from our early conversations and she showed a few different a few different approaches I think she showed me like three different approaches the first meeting and I, I really quickly was like yep that's the one <laughs> that works that's great and, and she she ran with it and, you know she just has really good um, good taste and had a really good understanding of the um, of the content of the book as well so she was able to um, to know what to do on each page uh, it took you know, a long time as a super involved process um but she she just kind of ran with it yeah i mean it, it it's nice that a book about creativity has a sort of creative twist to it like not only the cover is obviously slightly um different to usual but like the actual contents isn't just read you know it's not like here's how to be creative read my book it's just wall-to-wall -wall text it's no no here's how to be creative well, it's more about you know being a junior in advertising but you know it, you talk about creativity and then you've actually like being creative in the yeah it'd be really it'd be really messed up if like i had this whole book about you know creativity and then it was just really ugly and <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <Romans> 12. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'm, hopefully i'm more resourceful than that <laughs> yeah um so like in your book it's obviously sort of geared towards students or um people early into the industry um do you have any advice and you've got a couple of q a's at the, the back of the book obviously but what's your sort of advice for student portfolios how do they improve them what you know what should they put in is it like do they need one thing that's absolutely out there as a nuts ad like how do they you know these in these um creative directors see thousands yeah. thousands i think it's... i imagine student ads have a sort of similar tone or style or vibe to them how do you you, you know, know it's, you, very, it's very different by um by each agency uh what they look for and it's different by each recruiter what that recruiter looks for and it's different uh then if that recruiter gives it to a creative director what that creative director is looking for um i think there's a few things that are probably well i guess maybe i'll maybe i'll answer a question that you didn't ask first and and i think that's the the portfolio isn't just about um, you getting a job. It's about an agency knowing what, what you're about, what you're interested in. So don't think about it just as this is the trick I need to put in here in order to get a job. Think of it as this is who I am and what I think. And I want to work at a place that appreciates this way of thinking. Um, so it's not just about, yeah. Um, yeah, just, I guess like don't lose yourself in that process either. You know, that it's, they're looking for, they're looking for something, but you're also looking for something. Um, beyond that, on a more sort of practical level, I think if you're a, a copywriter, they're gonna wanna see a uh, copy in there because they need to know that you can do the job that's gonna be actually the majority of your job, the more, majority of the time. 
uh, if you're an art director, they're going to want to make sure that you can do a design and a layout. Uh, as as of today, I have not heard of a job called idea person. Uh, you know, there is it's still copywriter art director. So yeah, you are still you are still expected yeah. to do your craft. They're not going to let you pass it off to somebody else. You're the one who's going to have to do it, especially especially starting out. Um, so I think I think as a young person coming into the industry, that's uh, um, that's sort of what they're looking for um, as like one sort of check. I think the other thing they're looking for is just something um, just different, something that's just wow. I never thought to even think of this approach, or oh, that's such a different way of of looking at this problem. Um, just something that just scares the hell out of them, or is just just very something that's only in your portfolio. That's definitely not in somebody else's. Um, and then and then here's where it sort of forks. I. I've seen both people who look for whatever the latest thing is. They want to know what you would do on TikTok or Clubhouse or whatever for a brand. I've also seen the opposite where people just really don't care about that because they just they assume that you kind of know that and um, and they're really just looking for for a bigger idea. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess that's sort of the <laughs> the non-answer. Um, I think a little. The, the one yeah, yeah. I just really I don't want to commit to anything in case I in case I lose somebody. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's all about getting one hundred percent of sales. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone is it. Uh, but but no, I, I, I think it goes back to like my my personal portfolio. Um, maybe not my student portfolio, but after I sort of had my internship, I had a bunch of weird ideas in it, uh, and I had some some headlines on print ads. And then I had just really weird out there ideas. And um, and I think that that's why my career kind of went the way it went and why I got the sort of projects I ended up getting. Um, but if you know, if you are looking for, oh, you really want to work in social uh, and that's, that's sort of your dream, then yeah, definitely lean heavily into doing ads and social media. Um, if you want to do more traditional, maybe make your portfolio look a little bit more more traditional and those are the types of places that'll respond to you uh, i think any way you do it it's just it's it's, it's going to still come down to what's the idea not necessarily what's the um what's the media media you use to uh to share it yeah i quite like the idea of like not losing yourself it's not really the advice i've really heard before of not like losing yourself in the port so like you still want to reflect you you want to make the work that when you get a job yeah. you'll be working on like there's no point doing social media ads to get a job doing social media work and then or like social media style you know campaigns and then being like oh i hate social media yeah exactly because i thought it's what you wanted to see yeah um okay so as we finish up here mm -hmm. i'm gonna put you right on the spot but do you have an example of the best coronavirus related <laughs> this year? Because it's tough. I, I, well, I put out a tweet um, a good couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, Vicky Ross, past guest of the show, uh, came back with some some really great examples of um, coronavirus advertising where brands like didn't just do the, you know, now more than ever and all these rubbish cliches of new normal and everything that's popped up and that they kept in their brand voice and they were really on brand so like is there any mm. any others that you've seen huh i don't i don't think so 
<laughs> no, I, I don't actually just, I can't think of where I'm like, oh, that person really, or that brand really did something. I think when, like when a brand has been actually useful and then didn't have to tell everyone that they were useful, I think in these types of situations are, are probably the best where you know, people accidentally realize that they did, did these good things. Um, I think when a brand's like, you know, we're going to do a good thing and then we're going to spend twice as much telling everyone that we did this good thing as sort of defeats the purpose of it a little bit. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. performative, yeah. like, whatever, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of a, uh, a beer company called Brewdog. They're actually from uh, where I'm from, but so they created their own, um, like, antibacterial hand gel and offered out their um their bars and pubs as vaccination vaccination centers and didn't really didn't really promote it although you know like, advertising can be uh, kind of self-promoting sometimes but they didn't to be fair like they just did it like as a good gesture and yeah that's totally like what you're on about in terms of just doing something good and then you know if you you will get the credit for it because people respond yeah. well to people doing good things yeah i think it also like cooks into the dna of the company um in a way that that is a bit more lasting and you know becomes part of the company culture then and then the company culture starts influencing how, how people outside of the company see them and that starts influencing you know what the brand does and what the brand can do it sort of gives them license to do these you know now that that brand uh that beer brand you mentioned if they do whatever campaign in the future they're going to have a little bit more uh more leeway than they would have before so i think it's a you know it's I think in those situations, if you want to be if you want to be good, just just be good, um, and and just you know let it have the effects that it has without necessarily having to um, you know tell everyone how how uh, altruistic you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the people that um, oh my God. film themselves giving ten pounds to, to a, a oh yeah to like a homeless person. Look at how I've changed this person's life. Like I mean, yeah, okay, you were... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm glad they're giving the money, but but uh, yeah. Um, oh, and then they take okay. it away because after they're done shooting, because they have to go get the next person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fake money the whole time. Uh, sorry, we've filmed like ten of these. I can't afford this. Um, we'll end on a more positive <laughs> note that people staying from homeless people. Um, do you want to give an example of the the one piece of work you're um, proud of? I'm really proud of. Uh, for Got Milk, we created these chocolate chip cookie scented buff shelters. Um, and I'm really proud of them because yeah. uh, they were just, it was really different at the time. Um, I think it would still be different to happen, happen today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I, 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 don't, I don't see a lot of uh, <laughs> smelling bus station. Well, I do. Yeah, I think it was really fun. It was cool that the, um, you know, it's not just the smell augmenting a message, but the smell was the message. It was just the smell of chocolate chip cookies and a Got Milk logo. And that was it. Um, and I love that it, yeah. And I love that that was the, that was that was the whole story. And uh, it got a ton of attention, which was really, really fun. Um, it was funny to see all these, you know, film, uh, these uh, news crews crowded all over the block uh, trying to film a, a bus shelter. <laughs> We did, yeah. we did five so of them, one shelter that um, did. and there was one in, that was sort of the most central okay. one that was, um, that was the one, and it was, it was the California milk processing board. So they're, you know, it's just in California, but we did it in, um, in San Francisco. Um, so that was sort of yeah. the, the main target we we're going for. That's probably the most bus friendly of the California cities. 
I mean, yeah, it's such a such a fun idea. And I mean, yeah, imagine that was your bus stop, stop, and like one day you go to work normal, the next day is like, what's going on here? Like you'd be so confused as well because you wouldn't know what was going on. Yeah, it was really it was really fun. I, I had a lot of fun doing it, and even just the process of going through a ten different chocolate chip cookie scents and going, no, this one's not buttery enough, and just having these these conversations it was just really fun and. Yeah, you know, everybody like, no, no, it's fine, it's good enough. I'm like, no, yeah. it needs more vanilla. <laughs> just getting in these arguments. I want more vanilla in this scent. Yeah, I really hope you caught yourself like some part of the creative process. Like, this is a sick job. Like, yeah. I'm smelling different cookie scents for my. Yeah, it was really fun. This is, the, fun. and they're all they're all food grade. They're all totally safe. So in case anyone was worried that I was you know, putting toxic chemicals in the air, it was all food safe. Of course. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for coming on. This has been um, a great chat. Your book, Junior, is absolutely fantastic. Anyone that's not read it, they should go and read it. Um, it is. Is it? It is. It's back in stock. Um, others, yeah, it's it's uh, it's available in. I, I have a website called JuniorTheBook.com, and there's a a buy a page of buy now pages uh, on there that for wherever somebody is coming uh, looking at it from that should should be able to find a link. Of somewhere that sells it, but it's on Amazon, um, yeah, and and lo some local booksellers as well.